0: Welcome
1: to the Fizzle Show. What is up? What is up, you guys? This is Chase Reeves. Today we've got an extra special episode of the show because we're talking to we're talking to an entrepreneur that I really respect and admire. And he's not someone that maybe you've heard about before. I know a lot of you have, but he's not like he's like it's not Elon Musk or Gary Vaynerchuk or. Seth Godin or, uh, I don't know, you know, like Mitch Horowitz or, I don't know, who who are you thinking about when you think about businesses? Mitch Horowitz isn't even an entrepreneur, it's just a name I know, it's weird, but you might not know this guy yet, a lot of you already do, but if you don't, you should pay attention to this gentleman, because the things that he writes and talks about and researches and studies... And the things that he basically goes in and does the research on and goes through all the research and then comes back and, and delivers, like, tells us, like, like, bring comes down the mountain with the stone tablets and like, listen, here's the things you need to know, right? The way that he simplifies this stuff and makes it kind of matter of fact is it's like kind of like jet fuel. It's really, it's energizing. It feels clarifying. It feels like it gives you an idea of what your next best step could be. And it helps you think about your opportunities and your potentials instead of your regrets and your fears in some ways, right? I like what this guy does to me. Um, His name's James Clear, and he's a total badass to me. I like him a lot. He's a great guy and a friend of Fizzle. And so we had him on the show. Corbett talked to him, and he he got into a lot of, of stuff. One of the things is... He talked about the three simple habits that were the most important thing to growing his business. Okay. Now he's the thing about him, you guys, I don't even get into it. But like he had a business and it was successful. He's like, you know what, kinda bored with this. I'm gonna start all over at like at a different, completely different domain, completely different thing. And then he's since built that thing to four hundred and twenty eight thousand email followers. Okay? That is so big. That is so big in the world of email. That is so, 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 so big in the world of small business, in the world of, of independent entrepreneurship, right? So he talks about the three habits that for him mattered the most to get that stuff going. So that is something you definitely need to hear in this. And he also talked about why habits don't stick and what to do when you get off track. Why your habits that you can like come up with like, oh, I should be more like this. I should do more of that. Why they don't stick. You're going to like this conversation. So let's get into it with James Clear and our own Corbett Barr. Hey
0: everybody, Corbett Barr here. And today I am joined by James Clear. James is an author, a speaker, and he's focused on habits, decision-making, and continuous improvement. His work has appeared in the New York Times, Entrepreneur, Time, and on CBS This Morning as well. And more importantly, I'd say, over 428,000 people subscribe to the email newsletter over at jamesclear.com. And James also has a new book called Atomic Habits, which is billed as an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. The book is coming out on October 16th. James, thanks so much for being here.
2: Hey, Corbett. Great to talk to you, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm super happy to have you on today because, um, we have known each other for quite a while. Um, we have a lot of mutual friends in common. And, uh, also I've just been a really big fan and reader, um, since the early days of your blog. I, I get the newsletter whenever it comes out and, uh, I love sharing your stuff because it's just so inspiring in a way. Um, because it's it's just good to know that there are things we can do to improve, and I think that's at the end of the day what you 're all about is is just improvement right self improvement
2: yeah thank you uh, it's great to hear that you're enjoying the the writing and um, yeah man, I appreciate the guidance and insight you've offered over the years and um Yeah, I mean, I I am just focused on kind of this idea of like, how can we live better lives? And usually that means finding small ways to get better each day, whether that's a little 1% improvement or, um, you know, a slightly better strategy or uh, slightly better decisions. And all of those aspects of, uh, or all those topics, habits, decision making, continuous improvement, play a kind of a central theme and role in my work.
0: Mm-hmm. For, and for people who um, may not have read your work before or uh, need to brush up a little bit on it, and I, I can't recommend enough um, the newsletter at jamesclear.com, it's it's great. But um, let's talk about a few concepts, some of the key concepts from your site, because sure. I, I think this will really give people a good intro. Um, the first one that you mentioned I think is is great because – sometimes when we when we think about self-improvement it feels like it has to be this all or nothing thing like either we have to be perfect or what's the use in trying Hmm. and one of the big things that you talk about frequently is just this concept of um continuous improvement or the way that you like to put it sometimes is one percent better what what does that mean what is what is the outcome of one percent better
2: Well, so this ties directly into kind of my philosophy about building better habits. And the idea uh, behind habits and behaviors is that they're, they're often easy to overlook on any given day, right? Like the difference between eating a salad and chicken for lunch versus eating a burger and fries is basically nothing. I mean, you don't really, the scale is basically the same. Your body looks pretty much the same in the mirror. It's very easy to overlook that on any given day. Same thing is true for many other areas of life. You know, like what's the difference between studying a language for 30 minutes tonight and not studying it? Like you probably haven't learned the language either way. Um, And so it's easy to dismiss these choices on a daily basis. And it's only when these small choices compound over two or five or 10 years that the effect of your habits becomes like fully apparent. It's only after uh, you've gone through this, you know, broaden the time horizon. That it becomes right. very clear that these one percent changes um, compound over time and so I like to refer to habits as the compound interest of self improvement so the, the same way that money multiplies through compound interest your habits the effects of your habits multiply uh, as you repeat them over time and I think that that compound interest curve that idea of getting one percent better and kind of it you know kind of this hockey stick curve this like exponential function not like a linear progress um, I think that's actually a much more useful way to think about what it feels like to build a better habit because mm-hmm. it, when we go in and expect linear results, we think, all right, I put in a little bit of work and I get a little bit of reward. And so maybe if I put in like a massive amount of work or set a massive goal for myself, then I'll get a massive reward. But it often does not work that way. Um I compare, and I, I use this metaphor in atomic habits, I compare the process of building a habit to like the process of heating up an ice cube. You know, so say you're you're in a room, it's cold, you can see your breath, and say like 25 degrees, and there's this ice cube sitting on the table. You heat it up 26 degrees, 27, 28, 29, still nothing has happened. There's just this ice cube sitting there. 30, 31. And then you get to 32 degrees, and it's this one degree shift, no different than any of the other shifts that came before it. But suddenly you hit this phase transition. And the process of building habits and achieving results is often like that, where you need to to work for a while and you kind of feel like you're stuck on this plateau, what I call the plateau of latent potential. But the crucial thing to realize is that this is a hallmark of any compounding process, which is that all of the greatest returns are delayed. And so you need to be willing to put in work for a while uh, and let that potential compound before you actually see it like released in some way. And um, <clears throat> you can say this is true uh, for many different areas of life, but I think that it, it helps me a little bit when I'm dealing with these problems because... If you, you know, you're like, oh, I've been going to the gym for a month, but like, how come my body doesn't look any different? Uh, And so that's, you're kind of like stuck on that plateau. And um, what's useful here is to realize that if you complain about, I don't know, doing a habit writing blog posts for three months and not having a ton of subscribers or even a year uh, or launching podcasts week in and week out and not seeing the results that you wanted, well, Complaining about working for a few months and not getting results is kind of like complaining about heating an ice cube from 25 to 31 degrees. It's not that the work was wasted, it's just being stored. And so you need to continue to stick with it before you see those delayed outcomes become apparent. And um, anyway, so that's kind of my, my central philosophy about 1% improvements, how habits are the compound interest of self-improvement, and why it's important to make these small changes and stick with them so they can compound over time
0: and in in that like how important is it to show up every day um and put in the work versus doing the right work Mm. you know and this is this is a question a lot of people have let's say like in the example of um starting a blog or podcast or participating on social media or something and not seeing results after several months even though you're showing up i think people start to second guess themselves they wonder if uh, what they're doing is the right thing, not only the fact that they're doing it and they're showing up.
2: Right. Yeah, so that's crucial. And I think the you know the easy answer is, well, it's, it's both. But the way that I think about it is that you have two things going on here. First, you have what I would call decision-making, or your choices, and then you have your habits and how you execute. And so these I would consider decision-making and habits to be the two pillars of success or performance in any field. Um, so Say that, uh, let's say that you're going to start a company and um, you can choose between your initial decision. Here's what we're talking about. You could choose between starting like a local pizza parlor uh, or starting, say, uh, like a new software startup or a technology company. And you're going to be working hard either way. Entrepreneurship is effortful and difficult, and you're going to be putting in a lot of hours and, and trying your best regardless. But that initial decision, you can sort of imagine it kind of like this dotted line that's like mapping out ahead of you, and the, your initial decision determines the amount of leverage that you have, so like the slope of that line or what the the potential opportunity is. And so you might say like, okay, well, the technology company, the software company, that might have a much higher growth potential um, than the local pizza parlor. However, your habits are what determine how far you walk along that path. So how much of that potential you realize. So it's quite possible that you could pick the local pizza parlor and have really killer habits and end up in a much more successful or um, established or remarkable position over the long run than someone who had like a really high leverage idea in the beginning and, um, and wasn't able to realize that because they didn't have the habits to execute. And I think that choosing blog topics is kind of a similar thing. Um, it's like your initial decision about what you're writing about determines that, that potential trajectory. And your habits determine how far you walk along that trajectory. And what you really want, of course, is to make great decisions and have great habits. And so um, if you're finding yourself seven or eight or ten months in and you're starting to second guess, like, hey, maybe this isn't the thing, um, then you can utilize what's known as the explore-exploit trade-off. Um, and so this is a, you can read more about it. It's a, it's a common framework for dealing with situations like this. But the idea is that early on, you um, you should have a broad period of exploration. So for my own story, um, you know, I started jamesclear.com in November of 2012, but I had been an entrepreneur for two years before that. And so during those first two years, I tried a variety of ideas, a couple different websites, probably like four or five different sites, um, just to try to see what would work and what would stick. I also tried a lot of ideas for like driving traffic to the site. I remember I came across this article It was like 50 ways to drive traffic to your website. And over the next few months, I went through all fifty, and none of them worked. And I was so like annoyed and frustrated. I was like, you know, am I doing this wrong? Like, what the what the hell's wrong with me? And yeah. um, it turns out that it's just highly contextual. You know, like I, I had to find two or three other things that weren't mentioned on that list that did end up working. But I just mm-hmm. needed this really broad period of exploration. So we can come back to that in a second. But the the point of this explore exploit trade off is that. Early on in any process, so early in your career, for example, it might be a good idea to explore a variety of different avenues Um, because you still have a long time horizon ahead of you to exploit whatever the best option is. Um, Meanwhile, if you're later in your career, if you're thinking about retiring in five years or ten years, well, maybe you should just double down on the best thing that you found so far and get some results. Uh, The same thing can be applied to any project that you're working on. Early on in the project explore and try out a variety of different ways of achieving it. But as you get closer to the deadline, now you need to just double down on whatever the best solution is that you found and try to get some results before the time is up. And Mm -hmm. the other caveat to think about here, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship and building a website is that you can think also think of this in the context of am i winning or am i losing right now and if you're losing right now then you should probably explore more and try to find a better solution if you're winning right now then you should probably try to exploit more and capitalize on the stuff that you've found and um, so you can just kind of like feel that out a little bit as you go through the process and of course life and the and uh, the environment around you changes too so you need to evolve over time i mean A lot of the places I get my traffic from today are not the places I got my traffic from three years ago. So even within a single idea, you need to continue to explore and exploit.
0: The um, relationship between decisions and habits... Reminds me of uh, Derek Sivers' article that I refer to all the time because I I just love the framework, which is that ideas are a multiplier of execution. Oh I yeah, that's can, great. I've you, seen
2: that too. He has that like table where he, he yeah. multiplies it out and says like an idea is worth whatever, but only if you execute on it.
0: Right, and and I think you can you can compare decisions to ideas, and you can compare habits to execution. Mm. You're just refining it in a in a way because. You execution is such a black box. You can say, well, you need to execute better. And, and, you know, a million people could take that a million different ways, but you're saying that execution is all about what you show up and do every day and, uh, the habits that you form. And, and you talk a lot about systems versus goals, right? So a goal might be, I need to execute better. Hmm. But a system is more. How would you describe the difference between the two of those?
2: So I, I first heard this, this like kind of uh, framework or concept from Scott Adams, the guy who the cartoonist behind Dilbert. Um, and he's a little more anti-goals than I am. I think goals can be useful. Um, they, they're particularly useful for setting a sense of direction. You know, like figuring out like where are we going to be like rowing this boat. But once you know where you're headed or what sense of direction you want to move in. I think it becomes much more useful to put the goal on the shelf effectively and like focus on the system. And the um, this is coming from someone who was very goals oriented for a long time, right? So I would set goals for the weight that I wanted to lift in the gym, or the number of articles I wanted to write on my website, or how much revenue I wanted to earn. Like I had goals for all kinds of stuff. Um, and at some point, I realized that well i've achieved some of these goals but a lot of them i haven't achieved i and so it's like well what you know what's going on there clearly setting the goal is not the thing that determines whether i achieve success or not and you can see this actually in a lot of domains uh, the winners and losers so to speak in any given domain often have the same goals you know i mean like every candidate who applies for a job wants to get the job every olympian has the goal of winning the gold medal um, so if the winners and the losers have the same goals, the goal cannot be the thing that makes the difference. And mm-hmm. if that's the case, the question is, well, what does? And I think that that's where the system comes into play. And so I would say goals are good for determining what you want to work on or determining a sense of direction, but systems are better for actually making progress. And if most of your time is supposed to be spent making progress, then that means most of your time should probably be spent on the system and not the goal. Um I mean, Corbett, you've seen this just as much as as I have, but um we live in this very outcome or results oriented society, right? like the news is only gonna be talking about results, like there's never gonna be a news story that is something like man eats chicken and salad for lunch, right? It's like only a news story when he's lost a hundred pounds like six months later. It's only the right. result that gets talked about um so we. Social media just exacerbates this problem, right? Like we just see pictures of people's results and highlights all the time. And I think that because we're surrounded by results all the time, we tend to overvalue them and think that it must only be about the result. When in fact the, the outcome is just a natural consequence of the process that followed it or preceded it. Um, in many ways, your, your outcomes are kind of like a lagging measure of your habits, right? Like your, mm-hmm. the amount of clutter in your room is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits, The amount of weight on the scale is a lagging measure of your eating habits. The amount of money in your bank account is a lagging measure of your financial habits. And so if you buy into this idea that you get what you repeat, then it becomes very important to focus on what you're repeating and what kind of system you're building. Um, The other key insight here with systems versus goals is that achieving a goal really only changes your life for the moment. Um, you know, like if you get really motivated and you have a a messy room and you spend a couple hours cleaning it up, then you'll have a clean room for now. But if you don't change the sloppy, messy habits that led to a dirty room in the first place, then three weeks from now, you're gonna have a messy room again. Um, and so in a lot of ways, trying to achieve a goal is sort of like treating a symptom without treating the cause. Like, what you really need to do is we think the results need to change, but the results are not the thing that needs to change. It's the habits that precede the results that will naturally lead to the outcome that you're looking for.
0: So in the case of um, earlier, you, you talked about starting a, a technology company versus starting a pizza parlor. I wonder, you know, not only there's the, the potential involved there, and of course the habits that it takes to to pull either one of those off, but also what, how does... The results that you're seeing and and the timing of those results play into your ability to keep going. And I guess this is related to motivation or willpower or something, but if, you know, if you're starting a technology company, you can figure that you're going to have a year or 18 months before you get your first customer probably. And we and we all talk about, you know, short-circuiting that process, right? And building a minimum viable product and so on. But there there are just some things like building a car, for example, that is going to take multiple years before you can have the first product out there versus I could make a pizza today if I was really motivated in my oven and get some results for someone, right? So are, are some people, um, more able to almost stoically put off the results that they're looking for and just have faith in the habits that need to happen? Or is this something that you can learn as well? And and how does that play into your systems?
2: So the question you're asking is a crucial question. Um, In atomic habits, I refer to this as the cardinal rule of behavior change, which is that behaviors that are immediately rewarded get repeated and behaviors that are immediately punished get avoided. And even silence or uh, working on a product for six months or a year and not seeing an outcome, you're not necessarily punished, but you are, in a sense, punished in that you're not seeing the results that you're looking for, right? Um, So the point here is that um, you can kind of think about any behavior as producing multiple outcomes across time. So uh, for bad habits, it's often the case that the immediate outcome is favorable. You know, like say you're going to eat a donut or something. If you eat a donut right now, it's sugary, it's tasty, it's enjoyable. Uh, so the immediate outcome is favorable, but the ultimate outcome that you say if you keep it up, you're going to gain weight in a month or something like that, uh, is delayed and is unfavorable. With good habits, it's often the reverse, right? So like you work on this company, um, the immediate outcome is kind of unfavorable. Like it takes effort and time and energy and you're not seeing results, um, but you still have to work hard every day. But the ultimate outcome is favorable that you end up with this successful business in a year or two or whatever. And so much of the challenge of building good habits and breaking bad ones is figuring out ways to take the long-term consequences of your bad habits and pull them into the immediate moment So that you feel a little bit of that pain right now and have a reason not to do it. And taking the long-term rewards of your good habits and pulling those into the immediate moment so that it feels good right now and you have a reason to repeat it. And this is like a, a key for getting any habit to stick, is that positive emotions, especially positive emotions that you feel immediately after doing the behavior, positive emotions cultivate habits and negative emotions destroy them. And so if you don't have that like positive signal right after you do something. Um, then you don't really have much of a reason for your brain to be like, yeah, I should keep working on this. So let's focus just on the good habits example for a second, since that's kind of related to this process of building a company. But what you really want, the ultimate manifestation of this, is to uh, have the habit be a reinforcement of your desired identity. So like, if you if you identify as the type of person who doesn't miss workouts, well then as soon as you go to the gym... You can feel good about yourself because you're like reinforcing. Oh yeah. I'm the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. It's Mm. not even about waiting for the scale to change or for you to get stronger or anything like that. You just get to feel it right then in the moment. And so with entrepreneurship, you could say something similar, you know, like if you want to become the type of person who writes every day and then you just build a habit of I write one sentence per day. Well, now every time you sit down to write, you can feel successful, even if you don't have a great blog post finished or you don't write a best selling book that day or whatever. Um, However, identity changes like that, they take a while to come through uh, because you need to, in order to believe in identity, you need to have evidence behind it. And so it's kind of like every action you take is this vote for the type of person that you want to become. And so if you, you know, it's like every day I sit down to write a blog post. Well, the first day I do that, I might not believe that I'm a writer and the 10th day I do that, I might not believe that I'm a writer, but if I do it for a year or two, at some point I kind of cross this invisible threshold and enough evidence is built up, and now I have a reason to continue with it just because that's who I am. And mm-hmm. so the long-term goal is like, it's the goal is not to run a marathon, it's to become a runner. The goal is not to write a book, it's to become a writer. Because once you become that thing, then you have every reason to continue. Um However, while you're waiting for that identity to manifest itself, to like get enough evidence to believe in, it's often useful to have some kind of external reinforcer that can kind of help you get through this valley of death early on. Um, so with entrepreneurship, that could be something as simple as like going to a co-working space and getting to see your friend. So the benefit, the immediate benefit is, well, The delayed benefit of my business isn't there yet. The business still isn't successful, but at least by showing up to work with them today, I get to see somebody I like and like we can have lunch together and whatever. And there's this like small positive emotional signal there. Um, Same thing with, you know, as much as we like to dump on social media for uh, influencing our lives in negative ways, sometimes the immediate feedback of sharing something online can be really helpful. I remember early on, I would, you know, I was writing these articles and I wasn't getting a whole lot of feedback. One email from a reader, I would I would get maybe one a week from somebody early on that would say, "Hey, I really enjoyed this," and that was enough to get me to show up again for the next week. Um, so those little bits of external reinforcement can be really powerful for getting a habit to stick in those early stages.
0: So uh, you know, in in a small example, let's say you know we all we all go through this process where we have this moment of clarity and we decide that you know what I I I should become a morning person. Or I should, you know, take up jogging, or I should uh, you know, start eating better so mm-hmm. that I can lose some weight. We all have these these moments of clarity. And, you know, we'll spend the next day or two like plotting out how we're gonna get that done and, and how exciting it's gonna be. Okay, I'm gonna set my alarm, I'm going to wake up, I'm gonna do this routine, um, and it's gonna change my whole life and and everything. And then, you know, maybe we can like push through it for several days or maybe even a couple of weeks, but then something inevitably happens, right? In in most cases, and we fall off track for some reason. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, what is that? Or let's say I decided I'm going to write, you know, a blog post twice a week, every week for the next year, and something happens and, and I fall off track. Like, what what is it psychologically or are there external factors that that cause me to fall off track and then just to drop that whole thing and forget about it
2: yeah so there are a couple of different ways to look at this um, and of course there are a lot of things on a given day that could interrupt your habits you know you could just be busy at work your kid gets sick or whatever um, but in the long run uh, it's often some form of identity conflict and I mean that both in a personal level and in a social level you know so like if you're you um, are Take two people uh, who are trying to quit smoking, for example, and you offer one of them a cigarette and they say, oh, no, thanks, I'm trying to quit. Uh, and then you offer another person a cigarette and they say, oh, no, thanks, I'm not a smoker. Same response, but they, uh, they're they doing the same thing. They're both ignoring the cigarette. But the one person, the first person, still identifies as someone who smokes mm-hmm. and they're trying to do something that doesn't identify with their uh, their belief about themselves. The second person is like, oh, no, I'm not a smoker anymore. They no longer see themselves in that way. And when it comes to getting behaviors to stick, I mean, true behavior change is really identity change. Because it's one thing to say, I'm the type of person who wants this. But it's something very different to say, I'm the type of person who is this. And once you believe that you're that type of person, you have every reason to continue um, because you're no, in a sense, you're not even really pursuing behavior change anymore. You're just acting in alignment with the type of person that you already believe that you are. So yeah. um, there's identity on a personal level like that, and uh, we can talk more about that if you want. But I, I cover it in chapter two of the book, and I the point that I made earlier about evidence, I think that's the the key way to change that. Is that sometimes people will say things like "fake it till you make it." But fake it till you make it actually asks you to hold on to a belief that you don't have evidence for. Um, And there's a word for believing things without evidence. It's called delusion. And so it's Mm -hmm. really hard for your brain to latch onto that over the long run. What you need is a little bit of evidence, some proof to root this new identity in. And that's why I think habits are so useful. Um, Even if you do something in a small way, like doing five push push-ups a day, well, you might say, well, that's not enough to get me in shape. Well, Maybe not, but it is enough to reinforce your desired identity where you say, I'm the type of person who works out even if the circumstances aren't great, even if I'm really busy, even if I didn't have time to go and do a full one-hour workout today, I still do five push-ups even if it's not a good day. And that can count for something over the long run.
0: Yeah, and and it can um, maybe save you from destroying the identity or from feeling like everything is ruined because you missed a day because at least you still did something right, right? and so
2: this is uh, one of the phrases that i like, like to keep in mind is that you're you know your kind of central question here is well what happens there when a habit fades away mm-hmm. and the the mantra that i like to keep in mind is never miss twice you know, like okay, if you're trying to stick to a new diet and your friends want to go out to happy hour, and then you go out or you binge eat on the weekend or whatever. Well, maybe I wish that hadn't happened, but let me pour all of my energy into eating a healthy meal the next meal, uh, so yeah. that I don't like start this uh, this trend of a different habit. You know, like you're. It's almost never the first mistake that ruins you. It's like the spiral mm-hmm. of repeated mistakes that follows. And so, mm-hmm. if you can kind of cut that off at the source and never miss twice and get back on track as quickly as possible, that can count for a lot. Um so that's the first way to answer this question is with this kind of personal identity issue. But the second way, and it's just as important, is with social identity. And so, you know, you can think about this in the idea of like social norms. Um, we are all part of a variety of tribes. Some of the tribes are large, like what it means to be American or Australian or Christian or Buddhist or whatever. And some of the, the tribes are small, like what it means to be a neighbor on your local street or to volunteer at a local organization, or to be a member of your CrossFit gym. Um, and all of these tribes, big and small, that we belong to, have a set of shared expectations. And those shared expectations, they, they lean heavily on us. like they, they heavily influence our long-term behavior. And so if you're looking to build a better habit, it's really important to join tribes, to join a group where your desired behavior is the normal behavior. Because if you conflict with the shared expectations of the group, it's hard to stick with that. You know, like, Take just basic normal habits. Like um, You walk into the elevator and you turn around to face the front. Or when you have a job interview, you wear a suit and tie or a dress or something nice. There's no reason it has to be that way. Like You could walk onto the elevator and face the back. You could wear a bathing suit to a job interview. But you don't do it because it violates the shared expectations of the group. And, um, often when we try to change, but we try to go against the grain of the tribes that we're a part of, it's really hard to make that stick in the long run. And so, um, you might be able to do it for a week or a month. You might be able to overcome the uncertainty or the uncomfortableness of going against the grain of the group, but it's really challenging to do it in the long run. And so it's very important to be surrounded by, um, groups and tribes and people that where your desired action is just normal to them. Um, because otherwise it's going to feel like you're fighting this kind of never ending battle.
0: So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the success that you've had at JamesClear.com. because I was looking back um, at, you know, our history together and, and the last time I interviewed you, I it's almost hard to believe, but it was almost seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was in 2011, which is crazy, but That's not that much time to have shifted entirely Mm. because you were working on different projects at the time. Jamesclear.com didn't exist. You shifted entirely. You started this um, new project and here we are, fast forward, let's say five plus years and uh, you have an email list of over 400,000 people, which is one of the biggest that I know of, especially for a single author uh, blog. And, uh, you have a book coming out and you're also, you do regular media appearances. I was reading that your, uh, your theories and strategies are used by professional sports teams, which is amazing. And you've got this book coming out on October 16th, which is, which is going to be tremendous. And I think a lot of us would love to have an email newsletter, a 10th that size and, and to be working on a book and so on. So, how have habits played into the success of jamesclear.com and maybe you can give us some specific example of a system that you use because we talked a little bit about Mm -hmm. systems versus goals but i don't think we got into like what is a system exactly and, and how does that what does that look like on a regular basis and how does that lead to the kind of success that you've seen
2: yeah so that's a good question um So first of all, I should just say, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot has happened and changed since we did our last interview together. Um, But I think that's important to be able to reinvent yourself. Like, I think that skill is increasingly important because the world is changing faster than it ever has before. And so when the environment around you is changing fast, you need the ability to adapt as well. Um, And it's quite possible that After I finish this book or work on another project, um, that maybe I'll transform and do something else totally different in three years or five years or whatever. Like you know, I I've started to look at life as a series of seasons, and so in any given season, I ask myself like, what what season am I in now, or what season is the what habits are best for this season, or what what focus is best. Because I, and I, I think a lot of people are like this, I have a bunch of different interests, and so it's hard for me if I feel like, oh, I, you know, if I focus or if I double down on one, then you know, maybe I'll never do that thing. But if I use the seasons mentality, then I can just be like, well, it's just not the right time for that yet. Um, and mm-hmm. it, it helps me stay focused, uh, which I think is important for making the most of whatever season that you're in. But So your question is, what is the system, and, and how you know, what are some of mine, how has that played into the success of the site? So I would say that decisions set your trajectory, which we talked about earlier. Habits determine how far you walk along that trajectory. And your system is the collection of habits that you perform each day. So um, Mm -hmm. habits are essentially these, like, your system is a collection of patterns and behaviors and routines and rituals that you rely on day in and day out. And um, of course, not everything fits into that system, right? There are one-off events that you have to just like make a choice about on any given day. But it's a pretty reliable approach to, to focus on getting the fundamentals done and getting the say the things that make like 95% of the difference done each day. Um, some of my systems, so like I'll talk a little bit about like my writing system, for example. Um, so for that one, it's really important for me to have a place to catalog ideas. Because if I don't catalog an idea, then I you know, like will probably forget about it and not come back to it or write about it. So uh, I use Evernote. And if we say, you know, you mentioned something interesting in this conversation or it sparks an idea for me, then after I get done, I'll open up Evernote and just like type out a little note on it. And maybe it's a title, maybe it's a sentence. Sometimes I'll riff and it'll be a few paragraphs, but uh, that'll collect there. And so right now I think I have like 600 or so kind of notes in there where just like a bunch of things that I've just like brain dumped in. Then uh, each morning, so I I wake up, um, I take a shower. Shower is like my coffee. I don't drink coffee. I don't have a good reason for that, but I just I take a shower, wake up, get dressed, and then immediately just grab a glass of water and start to work. And um, I'll go into that Evernote file and I'll start to review what notes are there. And so, like, let's say that I have say six on um, on sleep or something like that. And then I'll start to like kind of lump those notes together into one larger draft about sleep and my thoughts on sleep habits and like what could maybe like form the the backbone of an article. And so now that article is kind of taking shape. And then if I you know I have a couple of a variety of those that are in various stages that are kind of sitting there. And uh, so now I don't have to work from a blank slate. I can just decide like, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on and then I go off and do some more reading or research and the article starts to take form. And then once it gets to a point where everything's kind of in place but it just isn't flowing well, then I'll move it over to WordPress and uh, put it in there so that I can like see what it's actually going to look like on the page, mm-hmm. and I just start to edit there. And the, at and that point, everything up to that point is kind of just a precursor. The real work begins then for me, which is that I don't really consider myself to be a very good writer. I consider myself to be a better editor. So once I get it in there, then I have something to edit. And um, mm. like some of the recent articles, uh, the one that I, I just wrote about, Why Facts Don't Change your Minds, um, that article started out as 6,000 words and it ended up as like 2,300. Um, and that's very common for me is that I end up cutting like half of what is there. Um and uh so I start at the top and I read the first sentence, and if that sounds good, I read the second. If that sounds good, I read the third, and at some point I hit a sentence that doesn't sound good, and so I change that and improve it, and then I start again at the beginning and just I do that like endlessly. So I basically it's probably not much of an exaggeration to say that I read every article that goes up. Like I probably have read it fifty or a hundred times by the time <laughs> I've started at the top and done it all over again. Um so and, and the end result of the, that is that it's much more polished by the time it, it gets finished. And that's kind of my system for like writing an article.
0: And in that, just to, to focus on one little piece of that, um, an example of uh, a habit would be putting all of your ideas into Evernote. Yes. Right, as they come up. And then that forms part of your system. I think it's easy for people to gloss over that and um, not realize that, if you don't have a central place that you put your ideas, then they end up scattered across mm-hmm. uh, you know, different kinds of notebooks and maybe written on paper and in an email to yourself and so on. And so then the utility of that is much lower than if you focus on putting them in one place. So that that's an important distinction, I think. Right? I think the, that's true. That that's, you
2: need one central holding ground for your ideas. Um, because yeah. then they... I mean, really, this makes sense if you think about where is the real value in a lot of ideas. So... There have been a hundred and seven billion people who have lived throughout history, and there are seven billion that are alive now. So the number of dead—there's uh, this—is a quote from Niall Ferguson: the dead outnumber the living like fifteen to one. Um, mm. And so the amount of all of those people, those hundreds of uh, over a hundred billion people, they lived interesting lives and tried things and failed a lot and gradually, occasionally, stumbled across an insight. And the benefit of for us living now, the reason we have all this crazy technology like airplanes and podcast mics and air conditioning and a thousand other things is because a hundred billion people ran these feedback cycles and experimented with stuff and gradually learned one little bit of the process. But the way that, that human knowledge accumulates is by adding just a grain of sand to that giant pile and building upon what's already there. So, if you think about it, it's really important to have your ideas all nested in one place so that you can kind of build up this mountain of knowledge and then you start to see the connection points. Like what are things that, that start to link together? It's really a lot of the time it's the intersection of ideas where the most interesting or useful um, concepts lie. Having them separately. An idea by itself is is not that terribly exciting. Um, It's when you start to apply it to other other places and build upon that kind of like mountain of knowledge that it becomes more interesting. So I think you can kind of do that in the same way that human knowledge has advanced through this giant mountain of knowledge growing over time. You can sort of do it a little bit with your own articles by having everything in the same place and finding ways that they connect.
0: What would you say? Are the three habits that have made the biggest difference in uh, the success of your business right now? Mm.
2: Well, one is not related to anything that happens on the, any given day at the business, but it's it's crucial, really, I guess I could say two. So for me, uh, exercise is crucial. I wouldn't be an entrepreneur if I wasn't exercising four or five days a week. Like I just couldn't handle the psychological roller coaster ride if I didn't have the the physical outlet. There have been mm. a lot of days in my business where, I feel like it was a wasted day, but at least I got a good workout in, Um, and that that like counts for a lot for me.
0: Um, And do you do you feel like I know I know that you um, stress the importance of exercise. Do you feel like that's true for every human? Is that something that we all could benefit from?
2: I mean, it's hard for me to say no, partially because I'm biased towards strength training and exercise, um, and partially because every human has a body. So like to ignore the physicalness of your existence is to give up a large portion of what it means to be human. Um, Mm -hmm. you also, even if you are not even that interested in exercise or in the physical outlet uh, that's available to you through your, your physical existence, it's true that for your mental existence to thrive, your body needs to be in a good place. Um, it's hard to have good ideas if your physical energy is lagging. So, um, It plays a crucial role. I don't think that it has to be what I do. Like I'm really into strength training. It could be rock climbing or surfing or uh, hiking or a million other things. That yoga, whatever. Like there's a lot of outlets for moving your body. Um, Yeah, a lot of famous creatives just talk about the benefit of going on a daily walk. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I do think that there is benefit in moving. Um, I guess I'll I'll put it like that. I feel like everyone can benefit from moving. There's also this interesting kind of link between your how you think mentally and what your body is doing physically, like try to be shut off mentally while you're dancing. It's like almost impossible to do. Uh, and if you look at someone who is in a bad mood or shut off or like closed down, they're almost always sitting or sulking in a corner or their arms and legs are crossed. It's a very still physical position. Um, so I think there's probably some benefit there just to like getting your body moving to get your mental juices flowing. Um, And then the second one, the second uh, physical one is sleep. I kind of, my cardinal rule is that I don't cheat myself on sleep. And I think most people could probably see a bigger productivity boost by getting eight hours of sleep each night than they would from like reading articles on how to double your productivity. Um, But, uh, i would say those two are kind of like meta habits that no matter mm-hmm. they, they definitely impact my business but they impact anybody's work um, so those are those are huge as far as actual ones that influence the business um reading is a massive one it would probably be the one that I, I feel like you have to start with for almost any business whatever problem you are facing in business somebody else has faced something similar or analogous and if you have a habit of reading you can solve that problem you know if you're a plumber, and you don't know how to manage a particular like uh, clog or pipe or some kind of issue or rust. Read a book about it. Um, if you're a blogger and you don't know how to get more traffic, read a book about it. If you're a podcaster and you're not sure how to improve your interview skills, read a book about it. Like there's, you can solve any problem by reading. Um, yeah. So, combine reading with uh, personal experience and experimentation, and you have a really potent combination there for for dealing with whatever issues are in your your business. Um, writing is the reading and writing would be the two that I would say are the backbone of my actual business. Now, some of that is because I am a writer and an author, but Mm -hmm. also pretty much any job, if you are a skilled writer, it's going to serve you well. Um, Everybody has to write something, even if it's only emails or Slack updates. I mean, there's having command of the written language is a really valuable thing. Uh, It helps not only for... um, persuading people to help you out or work with you or whatever it also just helps with clarity i mean so many issues in business are communication based you wrote one thing in the email but they thought you meant something else and now we have to have a meeting to follow up on it and fix the problem and writing clearly solves all of that it like circumvents a bunch of issues so um reading and writing are huge and then uh, I guess I'll say as a third one, outreach, um, which can mean a variety of different things based on the business. You know, If you have a company or a soft piece of software or something, maybe that's like sales calls or biz dev. Uh, for me, my outreach rarely looks like sales or biz dev. It's more like, let me just connect with people who I think have interesting and insightful ideas and like, let's chat for an hour on Skype. Um, but. That in itself is is very useful as well, so I try to do a little bit of that. I have six or seven slots per week for for having calls and doing stuff like that.
0: Wow, wow, that's a lot that's that's good to know. Um, your book comes out on October sixteenth, and I know you've been working on this for a long time um and not just the the you know the words that are in the book, but It kind of is the culmination of all the things that you've been studying Mm. and writing about on your site for so long. Um, What would you hope that people walk away from reading your book with?
2: Well, one of the things that I tried to achieve when I was writing Atomic Habits is creating like a practical guide for implementing habits in your daily life. There are quite a few books out there that talk about habits um, or talk about how they work. But there, I didn't think there was a great book that both did the why and the how. So, like, why does our brain form habits? What is the science-based, evidence-based argument for, like, why we have these things and how they work? And then, how can we implement better better habits in our daily life? How can we break the bad ones that we don't want? How can we build the the good ones? and so in the book, I lay out what I call the four laws of behavior change. And the purpose of coming up with those four laws was to essentially create like a toolbox that people could use for addressing whatever habit they were looking to build at that time. And um, so my hope is that people will find at least one idea that they could immediately plot apply in their daily life. I mean, this is sort of my my MO or what I've focused on for the last few years is, I want to be a bridge between the scientific research and practical application to life and work. And so everything I write should be, yeah, it should be interesting and insightful and science-based, but it should also be highly actionable and practical. And so my hope is that people will find the book to be that as well.
0: It's interesting uh, to think about changing your habits as something that can only happen when you learn to change a habit to begin with. It's it's uh meta. Thing in a way, um, because if, you know, you read your book and you learn how to change something, that is the same tool that you can use to change your whole life and to learn how to change all the habits in your life just, just from examining what it took to change one little thing, right? So it, it really could be the first domino for a lot of people.
2: This is one of the reasons why I felt like writing the book was so important and also uh, one of the reasons why understanding how human behavior wor- works in a broader sense is so crucial. Because if you understand that framework, which I lay out in the book, you don't need different strategies for every habit. Yeah, sure, you might pull on a different lever or pull, take a different tool out of the toolbox, but the uh, the set of tools that you need is essentially the same, regardless of the, the circumstances. So... um yeah, it really could be the lead domino, and I hope that for many people it will be.
0: There was a quote uh, on the intro page for the book here um, that I loved. It said, you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems. We, I think, talked quite a bit about the difference between goals and systems, but I just love that that idea that um, the systems are really kind of the the baseline, right? You can set
2: whatever ambitious goals you want, and setting goals is not—it's not useless, but it's also fairly easy to do. You know, like any of us can sit down for ten minutes and start to do a brainstorming session. But uh, what you realize, right. um, what potential you capture out of those goals, is dependent on the systems and the habits that you have. And so, uh, yeah, I think in, in that way, your your goals might set the ceiling, but your systems set the floor. And uh, you only stand on one of those. So the better the systems are, the higher that you'll be standing.
0: Yeah, we've talked for a long time um, at Fizzle and, and I've I've talked about this, the, the concept of, I guess, what I call a personal operating system or a company operating system, almost like a, your computer has an operating system, your business does as well, whether you're a business of one person or a bunch of people, there are ways in which you get things done. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about the daily, right? We all have our daily um, practices, but it's also about the way that you go about things on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or a quarterly basis and how you set goals and how you review your progress and how you also um, recognize the success that your system has led to or the holes in your system, right? And sort of reviewing that operating system in itself and saying, okay, well, this month I decided every Monday I was going to wake up and uh, check out my goals and plan out my week. And that, didn't exactly work out like I want it to because X, Y, and Z. So this next month, I want to change that a little bit by tweaking the system here or there. So the the system isn't something that you just decide, right? It's something that evolves and, and it's a, a living, growing thing, right? So,
2: I broadly put habits into two different categories. The first category are, I guess, what we could call like life fundamentals or just small habits that once you build them, you don't really need to think about them much more, like tying your shoes or brushing your teeth or unplugging the toaster after each use. Like, I don't need a process of continuous improvement for tying my shoes, right? Like, good enough is good enough once that habit's built. But then there's a second category. And these are the areas that you really do care about getting better at. Like For me, it's things like weightlifting or photography or uh, writing and growing my business. And so I do care about improving those. And for those systems, for those habits, you, what you need is a process of reflection and review. And that that is a habit in itself, reflecting on things and reviewing them. And it's a crucial one to have if you want the system to improve over time. Because what happens, and this is uh, one of the last chapters of the book, is called The Downside of Good Habits. And the downside is that as you, at first, a habit is not established. And so you have to do this like deliberate practice and focus on uh, improving it and working on it. And gradually you build fluency and skill and ability and you get better and better at it. But at some point it becomes more or less automatic. It becomes a habit. And when that occurs, you stop paying attention to what your little mistakes are. You can do it good enough on autopilot. So you don't start, you stop thinking about how to do it better. And um, if you want to continuously improve, that's actually a downside of building habits. You need At that point, you need to return to awareness. So the cycle of improvement is sort of like awareness. This is the situation we're dealing with and the state we're in. Deliberate practice, we're going to practice this particular strategy for getting better, which leads to habit formation. And then you need to reflect and review so you can return back to awareness and be aware of where are we now? How have we changed? What are we what challenges are we facing now that we weren't before? And then what is the next set of things that we need to be practicing? And uh, so for me, I have I really have like three different ways that I do this in my business. I have like a tighter feedback cycle at the end of each week. Um, I review kind of like the key metrics in the business. Um, so traffic, email subscribers, conversion rate, revenue, expenses. Um, and then I have an annual review. So at the end of each year, I will review um, how many articles I wrote, uh, how many workouts I put in, how many workouts I did each month, and then what my monthly average was. And then also, um, how many new places I visited or traveled to, really any of those like key areas that I really want to track. And then the third thing that I do is, uh, so the annual review happens in December, and uh, six months later in the summer, I do what I call an integrity report, where I write down what my core values are. So, in a company context, it could be like, "What are our principles? What is our mission and values?" And then, uh, how have I lived by those? Uh, which is sort of a chance to like pat yourself on your back and think about what went well. And then, the most important question is the last one, which is, "Where have I failed to live by that?" And so, essentially, what you're doing there is you're taking all those habits that you tracked in the annual review or in your weekly review, and you're trying to see do these match do these behaviors match up with what I say my values are um, and That's just what works for my particular business, but this basic idea that having a process of reflection review, a habit of reflection review, is crucial for improving the system over time as circumstances change and your tastes evolve.
0: This is uh, fascinating stuff, James. I could talk about all of this for hours and hours, and uh, I love that you are, if not the, you are quickly becoming the expert on habit change, and uh, I appreciate you spending time with us today.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: For people listening to this, the book Atomic Habits comes out on October 16th. Uh, Habits, as you've heard for the past hour, are the crucial thing to master in your life, to change anything, whether it's building a business or improving your life in some way. And uh, I hope whether or not you get the book, that you at least uh, focus on examining your own habits and considering how you might change them. You can also follow James over at jamesclear.com, subscribe to his excellent newsletter. And uh, thanks, James. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And um, if folks are looking for more, so the book is at atomichabits.com, but we also have, there's like a secret chapter there. There are some, um, there's specifically a bonus chapter on how to apply the ideas in the book to business, which might be interesting to to some of the folks listening to this. Um, And some chapter by chapter audio commentary from me on like why I wrote each chapter and the research behind it and things like that. Um, Anyway, all that's at AtomicHabits.com. So thanks again, Corbett. Appreciate the opportunity. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to share the book with everyone.
1: All right. Thanks a lot. We'll uh, talk to you soon. All right, you guys. That is episode 289 of The Fizzle Show. To get show notes and links to everything that James and Corbett talked about, just go to fizzleshow.co slash 289. That's fizzleshow.co slash 289 for all the show notes and links. Also, as is always the case, if... You are not a current Fizzle membership, but you but you want to try out the membership. Just for listeners of The Fizzle Show, just for this podcast here, we give you guys a five weeks free trial. It's like five weeks completely for free. Just go to fizzle.co slash try five. Get into the courses, get into the community, get into the weekly coaching calls. That's five weekly coaching calls, right? That's powerful stuff. All right, talk to you guys later. Find care, take care, serve hard, and dig in. Thanks so much. For listening, we'll talk to you next week on The Physics.